Turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapters 24, 25, and 26 is called the, hang on here, got to get my slides up. Uh, it's called the uh, Olivet Discourse. And it is a time that the Lord Jesus was teaching about, there we go, um, and, and uh, it, it gives us some indication. Then we'll move from here to Revelation chapter number six. And we'll spend a week or two uh, discussing the, uh, the time of the Great Tribulation. And tonight is sort of a, an introduction or an overview of, of some of the general things that the Bible tells us it will be like. So notice Matthew chapter 24, verse number three. And as he, speaking of Christ, sat upon the Mount of Olives, that's why it's called the Olivet Discourse, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed, that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be, uh, to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many." What's interesting is it seems like human nature has never changed. Everybody wants to know when. When is this going to happen? When is this going to come to pass? The disciples came to the Lord and said, when shall these things be? And though we don't know exactly the when, we know that once the rapture takes place, we are in a time frame that starts laying out one event after another, and with very little uh, speculation, we know when things will happen. Now, when will the rapture happen? We don't know. That's sort of like the, the first domino, and once it's tipped over, the rest of it falls into place in God's perfect timing. Now, if you want to stick a, a piece of paper in there in Matthew 24, I'm not sure we'll come back, but we may come back there. But turn to Revelation chapter number six. So far, we've looked at a couple of time frames or a couple of things that Revelation lays out for us. First of all, in Revelation chapters one through three, uh, that is the church age. And uh, to each church, the Lord sent a message 
And he said to them, I know thy works. And he spoke about the good things that they were doing, if they were doing good things, what their strong points were, and he addressed their weaknesses. And just like those seven churches in Asia Minor, minor, uh, churches today need to recognize that the Lord knows everything about Faithway Baptist Church. And uh, he could send us a letter in like fashion and say, I've seen this and you've done this well, but here's some areas where you're lacking. And I know thy works. Then we moved on to chapters four and five and we focused on them a few weeks ago. And uh, we noted that they speak of the rapture. Chapter four, verse one, the end of it, he says, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And so the rapture of the saints, the church is removed. And uh, chapter five then talks about this scroll. And the concern was who's gonna open the scroll? It has all these seals. And it was determined only the Lamb of God is able or qualified to open the scrolls. And so that is leading into the great tribulation. And we come to the end of chapter five and uh, those gathered in heaven at that time are bowing and worshiping and praising uh, the Lord for who he is as he begins to open these seals one at a time to reveal the contents of the scroll. And then we come tonight to chapter six. And the bulk of the book of Revelation from chapter six through really chapter 19 deals with what we call the great tribulation. And immediately we are confronted with these four beasts as the Lamb of God opens the seals and the elders in heaven cry out, come and see. And so when the rapture takes place, God's eternal timeline will begin. And it moves ahead in two spheres, as I've already mentioned. The believers will be in heaven with the Lord the judgment seat of Christ will be taking place. During that same time, for seven years, the great tribulation on earth. And there are three less intensive, three and a half less intensive years and three and a half more intensive years. But I would never say any of those years are not without great difficulty. And I'm glad as a child of God, I will not be here. And as we start looking at those details, uh, either next week or after missions conference, uh, you will come to that exact same conclusion. It will be uh, some of the most intense judgment, death, and devastation that the world will ever experience. So... While we are in heaven as a raptured saint on earth is the tribulation. Then at the end of tribulation, there's a few weeks in there where is on earth the the marriage supper of the lamb. And then the Lord establishes his millennial 
kingdom. And those are the two spheres. But the question that everybody wants to know, what will the tribulation be like? What will it be like? Even though as a child of God, we, we will not necessarily experience, what will it be like? You know, as we've so far in our study of things to come, there's been a lot of general information. I mean, we know what the rapture is. We don't know anything about when. Uh, we don't know how quickly some of the time uh, events will go on. But now as we study the tribulation, the information becomes far more detailed, far more specific. Uh, the events that the Bible describes will be taking place in the tribulation will be headline news. Uh, they'll be the leading stories every day in whatever fashion the news media is distributed or is operative in that day. And the times of persecution and trouble will be so intense uh, that uh, it, it will set that time apart from any other event, any other plague, any other devastation at any time in all of human history. Uh, there, there are times, for example, the, the plagues back in the potato famine in Ireland where people talk about how awful the circumstances were and the starvation and what people experienced. In the news in my lifetime, we see in, in different times in Africa, times of famine where uh, the, the pictures are just heart-wrenching and, and, and gut-wrenching. I, I love to read history. You read World War I, it may not have had as many deaths, but in many ways it was far more gruesome. And it was called the Great War. Those who lived through World War II, of which that generation is fading off the scene. My dad was part of that World War II generation. Tom Brokaw wrote a book called, called it The Greatest Generation. Uh, but what they saw, I just uh, finished a book uh, and it told about uh, the dropping of the atomic bomb in Japan and, and how awful uh, that was and though, uh, you know, why Japan quickly capitulated on that second bomb drop. We could talk about, and we would all have different opinions about what was the worst. But once the tribulation takes place, nobody will have that argument anymore. There, there'll be nothing to compare. So there's four things about this tribulation that I want you to understand maybe why it will be so devastating. And then we're going to look at just some descriptive words that the Bible uses to describe the time and try and paint the picture. And then we'll, the next message will be a little more specific. First of all, one reason it's going to be so bad is the presence of the people of God will be removed. You say, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal is twofold. Number one, that's the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And number two, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, the reference there talk about how we are to be salt and light. And in that Bible context, what it's talking about is salt is a preservative. 
you remove the, the, the preservative and you have decay and putrefaction. You remove the light and all you have spiritually is darkness and all that darkness hides. That'll be prevailing. So the, the, even though we can talk about how wicked our world is becoming and how difficult it is and, and socially and so on, what, what uh, laws are being passed, there is a restraint on the world because of the presence of believers. But when they are removed, there'll be no more restraint. The, the second thing to recognize is that the tribulation will not be localized. It will be worldwide in scope. Each of those illustrations I gave a moment ago, World War II, that was primarily Europe and Asia. Yes, there were some battles in North Africa and yes, a few other places, but the people in North America, though they had to go on a, you know, uh, conservation kind of a mindset and do without, they were not facing the devastation that was going on in Germany and, you know, all the countries as, as Nazis were steamrolling through Europe or uh, the, the, the Asian islands that were won, one battle at a time at great loss of life. That was localized. It was a world war, I'm not diminishing it at all, but the tribulation will be global. It will be global. There is no area that will not be touched. And though there are intense difficulties in our world today, I mean, we've, we've tried to do some things to help in Venezuela and after missions conference, I'm praying about how the Lord would want us to do something more to help out in that situation that's localized, that is not worldwide. So that will be very different as well. Thirdly, as you study the Bible, the men who are alive on earth, men and women, will be convinced that this is a very different event from anything else that's ever happened. Notice down in Revelation chapter number six and verse number 15, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? You know, unfortunately, unsaved man has talked about the end of the world. You know, that little cartoon figure all dressed in a white robe, long beard, white, long white hair, picketing, the end is near. Even Hollywood has picked up on some Bible terms 
to almost desensitize us, creating movies about the apocalypse, Armageddon. And it almost fictionalizes that which God says is fact. And it will be unlike any other time. It will be such a time that as we just read, the very rich and the very poor will be in the very same boat looking for some way of escape, but there is no way of escape. It'll be too late. So men will be convinced that it's very, very different than anything that has transpired before. And even the Lord Jesus back in Matthew chapter 24 said that this is different. It's a unique time in history. Matthew chapter 24, look down at verse number 21. This is continuing on in that message he preached, the Olivet Discourse. He said, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So what is he saying? Sodom and Gomorrah, awful, localized, not worldwide, nothing like what's going on. The the worldwide deluge was worldwide, but God saved Noah and his family, and it was immediately a time following of rebirth and renewal. But the Lord said, in this sermon, if it were not held to just seven years, there wouldn't be anybody alive. But because there are some that are yet going to get saved throughout that tribulation period of time, it's going to be held to that shortened time. So even Jesus said, there's never been a time like it before. There never will be a time like it after. So those are some ideas, some general truths that the Bible teaches that the tribulation will be like. Now I want you to see how the Bible describes this time of tribulation. A listing of adjectives for sake of time. All I can do is read the verses for you, briefly define it uh, or, or give you the word. And you can look up each of these references if you're taking notes just write the, the adjective and the verse references. I think most of them are here in the notes for you, but we don't have time for you to turn to each of these scriptures. By the way, the tribulation is mentioned in over 60 different passages in the word of God. 60. That's more than almost any other topic apart from personal salvation. There's one or two uh, that would be in the running. Beyond that, there aren't that many passages that speak to any other topic. First of all, the Bible says it will be a time of wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. That's a positive verse for us as believers. Our salvation delivers us from this time of great wrath. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, it is a time of wrath. Secondly, it is a time of judgment. Four passages here in Revelation. I'll read chapter 16, verse 5. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged us. Verse 7, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. Now, God does not delight in pouring out this judgment, but God is holy and just and must keep his word. While God wants all to be saved, none to face judgment, God also is just in meeting out his judgment. The third description is it will be a time of indignation. The word indignation means an anger arised, uh, arisen or aroused, better word, an anger aroused because of something unjust. You see somebody treated unfairly and you have a, a sense of indignation. You see somebody, you know, uh, out in the public square uh, and, uh, being rough or brusque with an elderly person. You say, that's just not right. Somebody ought to, somebody ought to intervene here. That, that's the idea of the word. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 20. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall dis disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. The fourth word is it will be a time of trial, trial, or testing. Revelation 3.10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth. The Bible says that it is a time of trouble trouble. Jeremiah says that, chapter 30, verse 7. Daniel, chapter 12. It's called a time of Jacob's trouble. I'm going to read Zephaniah, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man, shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Number five, it is called a day of destruction. Joel chapter one, verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand and as a destruction from the almighty shall it come. If anybody can bring destruction, it is the omnipotent one. He is almighty. It will be a great destruction. The next term, it will be a time of darkness. Joel chapter two, verse two, Amos five eighteen, which says, woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it? 
is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Darkness, not light. It will be a time of desolation. Desolation, the word means that which causes horror is so appalling. It's so shocking in its severity. It's desolation. Daniel 9, 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. For the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation and that determined it shall be poured upon the desolate. Now that reference to one week, that goes back to Daniel's prophecy of 70 weeks. Each week, seven days represents seven years. The first 69 weeks are past. There's one week left. That is the week of the tribulation, seven years. And so that's what he was referencing there. Next, it is just two more, two more. It is a time of overturning, overturning. I, I wondered, what is it that God's trying to communicate to us? It's talking about the, the ruin, the destruction, the judgment of the earth. Uh, in Isaiah 24 is where we find this term, and it speaks of the earth 16 times. And, and what this overturning is talking about, basically turning everything upside down. If we had time to read the whole chapter, you see how it will affect everyone. Rich, poor, uh, you know, educated, not. Status, no status. No one escapes. I'll read Isaiah uh, 24, the first four verses. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty and maketh it waste and turneth it upside down and scattereth abroad the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the taker of usury, so with the giver of usury to him. The land shall be utterly emptied and utterly spoiled. For the Lord hath spoken this word. The earth mourneth and fadeth away. The world languisheth and fadeth away. The haughty people of the earth do languish. I try to visualize in my mind, what is it talking about? And a few years ago, I read a, a book I'd never read about the Dust Bowl era in the Southwest United States. And uh, I, I read a book. It was fascinating, but I thought, what an awful time to live. I mean, uh, you know, the winds just took away all the topsoil and nothing was stable. And I mean, whole houses are buried uh, in, 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 in the dust that settled as the winds blew it around. I mean, it's just, it just awful. And, and as I try to imagine what God is communicating to us here in Isaiah 24, that no one will look on the earth and find anything that has any beauty left. It will be totally turned and overturned. And then it is a time of punishment. There in Isaiah 24, once again, verse 20, 
The earth shall reel to and fro like a drunkard and shall be removed like a cottage and the transgression thereof shall be heavy upon it and it shall fall and not rise again. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall punish the host of the high ones that are on high and the kings of the earth upon the earth. Now folks, all I'm doing tonight is trying to lay a overview that there is no place in the Bible that I can find that speaks of the tribulation, that paints it in anything but black overtones. There is, there is no, I mean, anybody who mocks it and says, oh, well, you know, you can endure anything for seven years has not read the Bible. Now you can't calculate it accurately, but I remember a few years back and, and trying to carefully calculate and do my reading. I'm convinced that over half of those alive when the tribulation begins will die within seven years. Over half. Now imagine, you're an unsafe person. You may know a couple of Christians. The rapture takes place and you're wondering, I wonder where they went. And you hear rumors. There's all kinds of speculation. Well, maybe this, maybe that. Maybe somebody's, oh, I remember them talking one time about they're going to be caught away. Oh, well. And at that point in time, they enter in to a period of time that is absolutely beyond our ability to conceptualize and imagine accurately. But in the next, I'm not going to drag this out because it, can, it is pretty heavy. But it, I, at least one more lesson, I'm going to try and lay out how those seal judgments and trumpet judgments and vile or bold judgments sort of play into God's great plan of bringing his judgment upon this earth and yet, there always is that light of those who yet will be saved, who did not reject the gospel prior to the rapture. Things to come. I'm glad I'm a child of God. If anything ought to motivate us to, to be more passionate about the gospel, it's about what those who don't know Christ are yet going to face. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I do thank you for the word of God. We don't have to be ignorant. We don't have to be without understanding. You, you tell us very plainly what will happen. And Lord, I pray that this will not be a study that just fascinates our curiosity, but rather that it will stir our hearts as we think about how this plays into missions, how this plays into our evangelism here in the Durham region, how it impacts our prayers for and our attempts to witness to loved ones, family, friends, co-workers who are yet unsaved. So Lord, help us to have the understanding that only your Holy Spirit can give 
And may we live the truth as much as we desire to learn it. Thank you for our church family. Watch over them the remainder of this week. Help us to be faithful. Looking forward to serving you and worshiping you together this coming Sunday. For it's your name we pray. Amen.